What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Stocks sinking again, although bouncing off of about a decline of about 400. What is dragging down sentiment in tech and some of the names to target at the bottom? Later on, the headset wars in the metaverse. What Apple's entry into the market means for Meta. And then later, the CEO of VMware will talk some earnings, Broadcom, and the outlook for cloud coming up deep. We're going to kick off, though, today's feed with a look at big tech. As some cracks in the armor begin to show, the Nasdaq plunges for the third day in a row, now down more than a percent this morning. Uh, Dom Chu, we've been talking about this lately. We talked Apple. It is leading us to the downside, but we have sort of seen this reversal Big tech has held up a little better, especially Apple, then especially some of the growthier names. But over the last week, you've actually seen the cracks, as I said, in big tech show. And, and not just that. Those cracks might get even bigger if the economic narrative holds true the way that it's playing out right now, because we are back in what seemingly is a good news is bad news situation. The economy is getting better. There's more job openings out there. Could that mean higher wages, inflation? Could that still be an issue? All of those things are playing out in the market right now. And this is the reason why interest rates are heading higher and tech valuations are getting hurt yet again. If you look at the NASDAQ versus the Dow versus the S&P 500, I've used the ETFs to illustrate that there on a one-year basis. If you look at the QQQ Trust over here on the right-hand side, it has been perhaps the bigger downside move, given all these rate concerns, given the economic concerns around the Fed raising rates. And if you look at that particular move for the NASDAQ overall, if you focus in on just the move lower that we've seen over the course of the last week for the NASDAQ in and of itself, that's when you start to see a little bit more of that weakness coming in. So let's take you through the next chart, which is going to give you a kind of better idea of what we're looking at overall with the technology sector versus consumer discretionary and industrials. Over the last week, they are the three worst performing sectors in the S&P 500. And of course, tech and consumer discretionary house many of those mega cap names that matter the most to the markets. If you take a look, though, outside of these, check out the one week moves that we've seen among those mega cap names. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, the parent company of Google in the last week. That's what's driving a lot of the downside action. Five percent losses roughly for the three biggest stocks in the Nasdaq 100 and the S&P 500 overall. But it's a handful of stocks in today's action that might be a telltale sign, folks, about what's going to happen here with the broader tech trade. And that is specifically the semiconductor stocks. Among the worst performers in the S&P and the Nasdaq 100 today are names like NVIDIA, microchip technology and applied materials. Over the last week, they have been among the worst performers. And as we pointed out before, many traders, guys, like to look at these particular stocks as a leading indicator, perhaps, for the broader tech sector. So 
Carl, John, Deirdre, you got to watch those trades in big stocks like NVIDIA, AMD, Applied Materials, and others. Keep an eye on those semis. That's going to be the big one. Back we are you guys. very closely. We're going to talk Intel a little bit later, too, overvalued or undervalued. I want to take another look at another subsector of tech, Dom, um, and that is the legacy tech trade. We had those disappointing results from Dell, and this has been another relatively good space for investors to hide this year. Is that coming undone now? Yes, they have dividends, but slowing growth is a concern. We've got HPE, HPQ to report, too. And it's not just that, right? But, but it's all about the relativity versus expectations. For many of these companies, because of the tough comparable comparisons that we had during the pandemic, there were already expectations that computing providers, companies like HPE, HPQ, and of course Dell, have seen a boom to their business over the course of the last couple of years, given the pandemic and everything else. We, sh- we kind of have an idea that things aren't going to be as good, but just how not good versus expectations are they? That's the reason why we see Dell and HPE and HPQ, some of these ones here, really taking it on the chin. I'm not sure if that legacy trade can be boiled down strictly to just the relativity over COVID comparisons. But for right now, given the Best Buy results, by the way, with particular emphasis on home computing and home theater as being real areas of weakness for sales growth, that could maybe put a little bit more emphasis on whether or not these manufacturers, these OEMs, so to speak, are going to be the next kind of shoe to fall here in that overall tech trade. All right, Dom, thanks so much. Uh, Dominic Chu on what's turning into a fairly interesting market day. Speaking of that, our next guest sees recession fears driving some more choppiness ahead, recommending that investors de-risk quickly in the year ahead. Joining us this morning, Crossmark Global Investment CIO Bob Dahl. Uh, Bob, just in the past couple of hours, we had the jolts number um, not going the way that uh, certainly the Fed wishes. And I mean, I don't know, is it, is it turning out, is the labor market at least turning out to be a lot more resilient and hence the fears that there's more wood to chop? Without question, yes. And we've heard that from uh, Chair Powell last, last Friday. It's um, the economy is weakening in some places, but the labor market remains strong and that has to crack before the Fed is finished. There's still too many open jobs for people looking at them, and uh, that's what's causing this uh, uh, concern that inflation is not going to disappear anytime soon. So when you say de-risk, what do you mean? Uh, Get out of stocks? Well, have a lower weighting than you might otherwise have. Uh, I'm an equity investor, so usually fully invested. So it's what do I do? I I have a lower beta than usual. I have a higher dividend yield than usual. Um, Higher predictability of earnings. Just a more conservative portfolio, even within tech. Bob, we're seeing income inequality in a way in society play out in the markets, it seems to me. The, um, the better paid uh, consumer is faring better in this environment than uh, you know, the working class or, or even poor consumer. How much does that reflect what investors should be investing in? Probably the, the prime luxury stock in tech is Apple. They build premium phones, premium computers, and sort of have to rely on innovation to make it worth it. That's their margin. If they can continue to do that, and if the luxury consumer holds up, they might continue to do well. Is that something investors should be betting on or against? I agree with the thesis. That that is, just take food and energy. Who spends the most percentage of their income on it? The poor. So they're getting hit the hardest. So I agree with your notion. If you can lean toward companies that uh, have potential for driving innovation 
and higher ticket items, you have a better shot. But even those areas are struggling as well as the economy weakens. Bob, I know we're focused on the jolts number this morning and certainly the jobs report later this week. Um, but what about inflation data, which is trending better? Do you are you in the camp that the Fed could overact here and perhaps push the economy into a recession un- needlessly? They could. I think it's too soon to argue that. There's a huge gap between the Fed funds rate and inflation. Inflation did peak in the second quarter. I think it will continue to fall irregularly for the rest of this year, taking us to a 4 to 5% inflation rate. Still unacceptable, but better than where we are. And that's when the going's going to get even tougher for the Fed to figure out what to do to try to thread that needle, engineer a soft landing, which we no is uh, pretty difficult. Not many uh, chances we've had that happen. Bob, 10 year 313. Um, I do wonder, though, where you think that tops out. Uh, and if it doesn't get, say, to three, four, five, or three and a half again, can people start talking about a potential double top, at least on the benchmark? Yeah, so the 349 we saw a, a few months ago, uh, I don't think that's the end of raising rates. We're in a period now where the economy slows, inflation's falling. So I think bonds are going to be trading vehicles. Um, But I think before this cycle is over, meaning into next year, we're going to see higher yields across the whole spectrum of the curve as inflation stays stubborn. Bob, what is your read on enterprise spending, business spending? I'm particularly interested in technology, but we've got a few different notions floating around out there. Intuit last week uh, just announced a really strong quarter on SMB. There have been some uh, businesses also in in software, Microsoft, for example, that's shown some strength in in software spend. But at the same time, when it comes to equipment, you know, Dell, we got HP, HPE coming, not as stable. So so there's no question capital stock in the U.S. in general is old. Uh, And that's why you've seen the capital spending cycle be a bit better And I think it won't fall as much as it typically does in a recession. And when you get to technology in particular, software services, I think money will be spent there as labor is becoming more expensive. So I think there's some rays of sunshine in that little piece of tech, if you will. Maybe it's not so little. Right. So rays of sunshine. And that was kind of the takeaway after the last earnings season. It was perhaps better than expected, especially in the cloud and for some software names, as John said. But does Fed Chair Powell's speech last Friday changed that when he talked about paying for consumers and businesses. Do you think that there's companies out there that are going to say, hey, I think we're going to need to, to pull back and that could show itself in the upcoming earnings season? Yeah, uh, yeah I fully agree with that. So my, my comment about Ray of Sunshine is maybe hurt relatively less. As the economy weakens, those areas might weaken a bit less. Look, the, the notion of the Fed lowering rates, the Fed put, the Fed uh, pivot, whatever the words are, um, was the language people interpreted from the Fed's uh, uh, press conference um, a bunch of weeks ago. But the fundamentals, in my view, given the inflation rate where it is, don't support that at all. And the Fed made that clear on Friday. And that's going to be the narrative for a while here, I'm afraid. Well, we got Bostic out now saying that if prices do cool, could allow them to back off a 75. And maybe that's why uh, we yes. did see the lows of the session about a half an hour ago, Bob. Great to see you. Bob Dahl. All the best. Let's turn now to Twitter. It's like another Dear John letter. Elon Musk sending another deal termination notice to the company. Julia Borston has those details. Julia. 
Well, John, Elon Musk lawyers have sent Twitter the second notice to terminate his deal to buy the company, citing totally separate reasons based on the allegations made by the whistleblower uh, and Twitter's former head of security, Peter Zatko. Musk's attorney pointing to Zatko's allegation that Twitter violated its 2011 FTC consent decree regarding user data privacy, alleging that Twitter deceived regulators about the degree to which it's vulnerable to disruption from data center failures or, quote, malicious actors, and also that Twitter agreed to demands by the Indian government that the company hire its agents and be given access to Twitter's user information. Now, Zatko's allegation do not support Musk's first argument for terminating the deal, but Musk's camps say they do believe that the second termination notice is not legally necessary, but it is in addition to and not in lieu of their original argument. Twitter responding, saying, quote, as was the case with your July 8th, 2022 purported notice of termination, the purported termination set forth in your August 29th letter is invalid and wrongful under the agreement. Now, the question is what kind of impact this is going to have on the trial that is set to start on October 17th, when Bush analyst Dan Ives tells us, quote, ultimately, the Zatco development and timing is a huge potential win for Musk which could complicate the Twitter case. Up until the Zatko development, the street was factoring in Twitter to have a clear win in the Delaware courts in October. Ives says, and investors seem to agree, that for now, Twitter stock will continue to trade on deal odds as the battle begins to play out in court. Guys? Now, Julia, I know you're not a lawyer. At least I, I'm pretty sure you're not a lawyer. But <laughs> I'm going to ask this anyway, because maybe you've talked to some people who are connected to lawyers in this case. This lawsuit is based on Elon Musk's first uh, you know, letter and, and termination claim. So this other one is just sort of like a, a backup. He would have to file a separate lawsuit, it seems, based on this entirely different uh, argument on why they're never, ever getting together. <laughs> well, uh, I, I preach the, appreciate the musical reference there, uh, John. But I think that, yes, I'm not a lawyer. But what I understand is they're saying if the first case does not work, we are saying that Twitter did not hold up its end of the bargain. That's what it comes down to. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. The first argument was about r revealing information about bots, bots and spam accounts. This argument is really centered, I think, first and foremost on the idea that Twitter violated its consent decree with the FTC. So a lot more is going to come out here. Obviously, they've been in touch with the FTC. This is, this is not the first time we've heard uh, about Twitter's relationship with the FTC. But there's this question about whether they are in such violation um, of, of this FTC consent decree when it comes to protecting user data, that that would be a whole nother argument um, for, for why Musk should not have to buy the company. So I think there's this question about whether or not this will change the timing of the case, whether or not Musk, Musk's camp will get more time for discovery. Zatko has been subpoenaed by both sides here, um, but the, tr the trial is as of now set for October 17th, and we'll see whether this has an impact in delaying that. It's certainly possible. Hey, Julia, one, um, one thing that's picking up a little bit of steam this morning is the notion, uh, actually the, the watch that is on watch now to see if, in fact, Musk uh, files suit in federal court alleging fraud, which would then be a huge escalation uh, in this. Is that something that people are watching? 
I mean, we never know what Elon Musk is going to do. I'm also constantly watching his Twitter account. Certainly his lawyers would prefer if this all plays out in court and not on Twitter, but he he could uh, weigh in on this at any moment. Um, And he certainly has uh, has commented sort of subtly on on all of these different factors, uh, certainly since the whistleblower came out. But so I think what's interesting here is that, yes, he could file again. I think that right now the, the Delaware case is what's in focus, and that's going to presumably move forward. Um, but yeah, we never know what Elon Musk is going to do. You got to have those Twitter notifications on for Elon Musk's account. You never know what's going to come. Julia, thank you. Uh, I guess, John, too, which is the better argument, right? Some say that it's actually the plan B, the second one, versus all the bots and the MDAUs. So we'll see. I think the key is that when you can afford enough legal uh, yes. ammunition to just keep <laughs> having arguments over and over again, they might not have to be that great, just as long as you keep having them and not having money. Them. Yes, you got to wonder what the courts are thinking. Annoyed by all of this, we'll see if that. Or maybe, maybe not annoyed. Maybe they're maybe like, entertained. Oh, it's got a point. Yeah. yeah. Are or, you not exactly. entertained? I, I am. I will say that <laughs> I am. Still to come on the show is the future of the metaverse, the headsets. More on Meta and Apple's big bet on hardware. The competition there heats up. That's next. Tech Check is just getting started. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Let's get a gut check on Chinese internet name Baidu. It is falling despite a beat on the top and bottom lines this morning as sales beat estimates. You can see it's down a little more than 6%. Came in lower quarter over quarter. That said, some pointing to positive momentum in certain segments. The company seeing a 31% bump in AI cloud revenues year over year and a recovery in sales not helping the stock this morning, though, Dee. No, it was a turnaround. It was up initially on that. But as we said, sometimes you don't know immediately for the Chinese Highly stocks. tradable, but Is it investable? investable? Yeah. That line will always work for Chinese <laughs> stocks. Let's turn to gaming stocks, though, and some huge changes within the industries. You're probably aware there's been a ton of M&A. Microsoft, in particular, has bought a number of game makers headlined by Activision Blizzard, though that has yet to go through. Take-Two, Zynga, of course, as well, and then EA spiked Last week on rumors that it wasn't play for a buyout. All of this consolidation happening as the sector undergoes a huge generational change. Names like Apple, Meta, Sony, Microsoft investing in two big trends, new VR hardware and cloud gaming. To start, our Steve Kovac is with us taking a look at the hardware coming this fall. Steve. 
Yeah, D, I'm calling this Metaverse Palooza because after a year of Metaverse hype, now it's time for these big companies to actually show their work. So starting this fall, we're going to get the first in a wave of these virtual and augmented reality headsets. Mark Zuckerberg says Meta's new headset, which is codenamed Cambria, is going to launch first in October. And then early next year, Sony announcing that it will have its PlayStation VR 2 headset, which needs a PlayStation 5 to actually run. Uh, that's coming early next year. And also early next year, we're expecting to see the Apple headset as well. Uh, now, there are a lot to stake for all these companies, but more so with Meta of all the names I just said. It's the only one betting its entire company on the metaverse. And it'd be a big blemish for Meta if this uh, device is a dud or just doesn't sell well. Meanwhile, the market is really small for these headsets and not expected to grow significantly over the next couple years. IDC predicting only 50 million will be shipped in 2026. That's four years from now with over a third to the enterprise, not regular consumers like you and me. So to put that in perspective, Apple alone ships more than 200 million smartphones a year. This is going to be a niche market for some time, guys, and headsets are not going to replace your phone anytime soon. Meanwhile, the price will be tough to swallow for many early reports saying Meta's headset is going to cost at least a thousand bucks. Apple's isn't going to be cheap either. They never make anything cheap. And Sony's will need a $400 PlayStation 5 console just to run. So it's not going to be cheap to play in the metaverse. And even then, there might not be anyone there, guys. I know one person who won't be there for a little bit, at least. That was for John. He's that one right was specifically for John. I just, this is not the metaverse we were promised. Metaverse implies like a whole environment where everything around you, these are like little devices and gadgets where it's an application. It's not a. I got well, it, I got we it. We can take this up with, with Matt Ball. <laughs> Let's do that. He's going to help us dive deeper on the outlook. Matthew Ball, author of The Metaverse and How It Will Revolutionize Everything, co-founder of the Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF. Uh, Matthew, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, first, let me ask you, what do you think is behind all of this consolidation? We're talking about EA as a play. Is this about the franchises and the IP and tech giants trying to get ahead so they can sort of consolidate it with everything else they have, like cloud? I think that's the right frame. At least the most immediate opportunity and where most of the tactics are being deployed right now is the acquisition of additional players, additional developers, and additional intellectual property to build out your ecosystem. We saw this in music. We've seen this with talent agencies. We've seen this in video when it's coming to gaming now. But there's an undercurrent of the fact that real-time 3D rendering capabilities have been underestimated for more than a decade. It's been an afterthought. That's why most of big tech has focused on video or audio and now they're rushing to correct that. Is Unity the best play on that? The answer to that question is really a reflection of the specific needs, but also the regulatory environment. I would guess that most of the big tech companies would take a pass at the company if they believed there was any opportunity to actually get it through. Hey, Matthew, um, yesterday the Journal did a piece about basically how disparate the metaverse is. It's an easy term to throw around, but there's lots of different elements to it. They talk about some of the retailers that are investing. One of the things that they cite is Mark Cuban saying the idea of metaverse real estate, in his words, was dumb. I wonder if you're beginning to parse out things that, although you're a fan of the metaverse, you wouldn't touch. Virtual real estate is an area that I totally agree with Mr. Cuban. The idea of having highly scarce space that presumes some sort of adjacency value doesn't really make sense to me. We don't access the internet through a front door. You don't go to a Google Doc by going to the internet homepage, then Google, then your account, then Google Docs, then the Doc. You go to the specific 
article, the specific URL. The only thing that has value in that regard in a real estate analog is namespace. It's your domain. But that's used to get you there. It's not about adjacency to another page on the internet. That's a concept that makes sense if you start from the real world, but I think when you examine it more deeply, it doesn't. Yeah. Is it really a metaverse if the real estate isn't worth anything? I mean, I think the, all along, the metaverse has been a narrative in search of relevant detail. And I, all along, I've been saying, it's not that I don't believe in components of this. It's just the whole big bag of stuff that investors are being sold uh, isn't necessarily going to work. And so uh, w what are the pieces of this where there's IP that's most important, not just a dream that some billionaire wants you to believe in because he wants to vertically integrate. Is it the cloud piece and the ecosystem piece, right? The platforms piece, and then the stuff that Unity and others are working on? It's all of those individual pieces. I'll point to a June 2021 tweet from Tim Sweeney, the founder and CEO of Epic. He points to code from their 1997 release Unreal Tournament. That's the namesake for the Unreal Engine at the core of the business pointing that they had the functions to try and build what we consider the metaverse today, but that that style of play didn't last very long. And then he observes that in 2021, a critical mass of working pieces, hardware, computing, network infrastructure, generational change, has started to come together to make this long-considered fantastical opportunity a practical business opportunity. Mm -hmm. But Tim is nevertheless clear that this is going to unfold over decades, not today, not tomorrow. But I will highlight that during the 15 minutes I'm connected to the CNBC portal for this interview, more people will have logged on to Roblox alone than use Second Life at its peak in an entire month. You're exponentially <laughs> bigger today than we once were, much like almost every sub-element of this space. That's a, that's a good point. Um, just such a higher usage. I'd add Minecraft to that as well, something my son is on. Matthew, finally. Um, I'm trying to figure out over the last few months, I think investors as well, it used to be thought that gaming and entertainment was, was recession-proof, and it feels a little bit less so. What do, you, do you agree with that notion? And does that have to do with the rise of free-to-play and more mobile games where it makes it easier for users to scale back on or not play altogether? There's no evidence that free-to-play or mobile titles have contracted or adversely affected spend in the category. The reverse tends to be true. But we are seeing a classic COVID pullback, and it's easy to talk about that in abstraction, but the specifics are clear. In the two quarters since pre-pandemic to Q2 of 2020, we saw that gaming as a share of leisure time grew from 12 to 19 hours per week in the United States among gamers, and the share of wallet grew from about 7% to 20% in terms of consumer discretionary spend. There was no way that that was going to be sustainable, huh. right? 60 to 100% increases in the span of two quarters. Internationally, the category remains well up. Domestically, we're down 10, 11% year over year, but we're still one or two percentage points ahead of 2019, early 2020. Right, so more of a pandemic phenomenon, post-pandemic versus a recession. Um, that's great insight. Matthew Ball, as always, thank you. Thank you. Uh, John, I caught that Second Life reference only because it's had a revival. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known what he was talking about. I would just like to point out that he just said that an individual game, Roblox, and that's what it is, it's an individual game, is bigger than the entire immersive world that they tried to sell us a generation ago as the metaverse. And if you think Roblox is the next metaverse, that it's going to seamlessly integrate with Minecraft and with Fortnite, that it's all going to be running on one platform, as one individual <laughs> world, then I've got a bridge 
in, I don't know, in CNBC headquarters to sell you. That's, oh, that's just not even an actual bridge. So your, your argument is that they're not going to be interoperable, but doesn't it's it not tell a metaverse. you? It's a game. It's a great game. Yeah, but the fact that Roblox on its own is bigger than the whole space years ago, doesn't that tell you that it's here? No. Super Mario on its own is bigger than Second Life 2. It doesn't mean that it's an immersive world that everybody's going to be living in. It's a fun game. I do love Mario Kart, and I yeah. play it with some of our producers. So, I don't you, know. But I'm you're there. not living there. Sometimes. <laughs> All right. Carl. <laughs> yeah. Second Life might have been a low bar to cite, but we'll watch it. <laughs> Coming up after the break, where you're going to check in on the cloud with the CEO of VMware in an exclusive you don't want to miss. Don't go away. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Check Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa with us live from the East Coast this morning. Checking in on the markets. We did uh, take a spill lower below 4K on the S&P for the first time since July as rates spike again. Uh, NASDAQ touching lowest level since July. We'll talk with the CEO of VMware in a moment. But first, let's get a news update with Contessa Brewer. Hey, Contessa. Hi there, Carl. Good to see you. Good day, everybody. Taiwan's military says it fired warning shots today at a Chinese drone that buzzed a small island that Taiwan controls near the Chinese coast. It's the first time that's happened. Taiwan's president visited a military base and said today the country will show restraint despite what she calls Chinese provocations. She says they can take strong countermeasures if needed. Donald Trump's Truth Social Service isn't available on Google Play Store. That's because Google thinks it doesn't do enough to moderate user-generated content, according to a report from Axios. That means Android devices can't download the app. Google did not immediately respond to CNBC's request for comment. And Donald Trump has hired a former solicitor general for the state of Florida to represent him in court cases resulting from the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago. NBC News reports the lawyer, Chris Keis, has a reputation as a skilled political knife fighter. All right, John, I'll send it back to you. Contessa, thank you. VMware, meanwhile, kicking off its flagship conference in San Francisco today on the heels of its quarterly report out just last week. The company in the midst of completing its $61 billion deal to be acquired by Broadcom. CEO Raghu Raghuram joins us now to discuss it all. Well, maybe not at all. I know you don't want to talk much about Broadcom. We'll see how much of that we get to. But I'd like to actually start with some elements of the quarter. Billings particularly strong here. What are you seeing from VMware's perspective in enterprise demand are sales cycles lengthening? Are there certain fundamental things that customers are still demanding just as strongly? Yeah, thank you, and it's great to be here. So what we are seeing um, generally in our business, we are tied to how the customers think about their digital transformation journey and the adoption of multi-cloud. And we have seen all those trends continue in the second quarter um, as normal. And uh, because this is once in a generation transformation, we expect it to continue well into the second half as well. Uh, having said that, we are not immune to 
any sort of uh, macroeconomic considerations. But in the world of digital transformation and cloud, um, uh, we, we saw good demand for our products in Q2 and continue to see in Q3. Okay, uh, and you're no longer calling it VM World, you're calling it VMware Explore, uh, I believe. So tell me about VMware Aria and the uh, multi-cloud, the latest multi-cloud management push that you're making. Uh, how is this um, going to be additional? What's new in it that customers can't get elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely, great question. So um, to address the first part of what you said, when we started uh, this conference, it was a conference for data center professionals. But as uh, in the last few years, especially, our strategy has broadened uh, uh, to encompass helping customers on their cloud journey, whatever cloud they want to be on. That's why it's become a multi-cloud event. And what we are attracting now are the multi-cloud professionals. And Aria is exactly a product for the multi-cloud community. Aria solves the problem of managing all of your applications across Amazon, AWS, and Azure, and Google, and your on-prem data centers, et cetera. So that's the problem it solves. As you well know, customers find themselves very quickly putting a lot of applications everywhere um, as they build out their digital infrastructure. And as a result, spending sometimes goes out of control, security goes out of control, management goes out of control. Aria solves all of those problems. Mm. Uh, Raghu, it's Deirdre. I know you're bullish on your subscription model. Um, you said in the past it's easier to cross-sell and upsell. I wonder, are you considering or have you considered a consumption-based model? I know there was concerns in an economic downturn. It hadn't really been tested or proven. But if you look at what Frank Slootman and Snowflake are doing, is it telling you that that could work? It could actually maybe be more successful in a downturn when companies are looking to scale back costs? Yeah, uh, these are all related uh, models that are, I would say, along a spectrum. And it really depends on the category of the product and the business that you're in. For developer-centric businesses, we certainly think consumption models will work well. And if you look at our Tanzu portfolio, there are aspects of it that are available as a consumption uh, model. On the other hand, the core infrastructure uh, offerings, customers like to know what they're going to be spending in terms of their infrastructure this year and next year and the year after. And so a subscription model works for that. So we support both. Are you able, Raghu, to do any M&A during this period where there's this Broadcom overhang? Uh, right now, there's a lot of activity in, in private companies, whether it's private equity or some consolidation. And some might think there's some risk of you missing out. Yeah, so um, we continue to operate as a standalone company operating with our continued uh, uh, multi-cloud strategy and executing against it, both organically and inorganically. And certainly there are certain rules of the road during this time, but we can execute uh, inorganic moves should we choose to. All right. Well, uh, we'll continue to track uh, your progress because this multi-cloud trend certainly has legs. Raghu, thank you, CEO of VMware. Thank you so much. And could Apple's next growth driver be podcast? That's right after the break. We're back in just two. Since June of 2021, Apple podcasts have seen paid subscribers skyrocket more than 300%. That'd be 4X. That's according to a company spokesperson interviewed by digital media company Digiday. As a reminder... 
Apple launched paid subscriptions for podcasts back in April 2021. That allows users to unlock benefits like ad-free listening, additional or exclusive content, similar to how Apple manages the App Store. The company takes a 15 to 30% cut of revenue from podcast sub earnings. Um, D, <laughs> is, is podcasts a business for Apple? I would argue that Apple hasn't treated it like a business. It's treated it as a platform enhancer, and Apple has the benefit of having a platform in um, you know, apps on iPhones mostly yeah. that's very high margin. So if people are using these things more and have a good experience on iPhones, they're more likely to buy more iPhones, which is a whole lot of money for Apple. Other companies don't have that same model. Exactly. Isn't that the beauty of Apple's operating system? It hasn't even had to monetize podcasts. It's just not been a place where they sit, where users go because it's on their iPhones. What surprises me more, and Carl, I, I know you're, actually, I'm not sure. Are you a big podcast user? I am. Um, yeah. Has, do you listen to a lot on Spotify? I'm surprised with the amount of money that Spotify has spent on the likes of Joe Rogan, The Ringer, Caller Daddy, um, that they haven't done more. Like, I'm still not going there. I don't know if you are. I find that Apple has good discovery, and like John said, it's right on your phone. Yeah, I think, the, I mean, the bigger danger, of course, is that we end up sort of overstored in podcasts. Uh, obviously, Spotify's uh, made a, they've doubled down a couple of times, now Apple. John, I'm sure you saw the other day that Twitter has talked about turning spaces into a more podcast-friendly mm -hmm. environment. So how many, how many spaces do you need to have a couple people talking on the radio? <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently Twitter's talking about doing a lot of things. I mean, this is a sharp left. Did you see that, uh, was it Casey Newton, the, the OnlyFans? Mm -hmm competitor yes. that Twitter was looking at doing? What is this company? <laughs> oh, my you goodness. First. You first, John. I, yeah, Fort I, I Knox, have no response. Only fans. <laughs> What's OnlyFans? Like, well, you know, Elon would be into that, perhaps, as well. Lots of different ways to make money in this space. But I mean, podcasts themselves, perhaps, um, not one of them. Can't see Apple doing that. There will not be an OnlyFans competitor from Apple. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. If I had to put my money on it. Yeah. I don't think Twitter will be either. <laughs> Apparently not, but they tried. Apple, I'm <laughs> betting, didn't even try. <laughs> Speaking of Apple, Morgan Stanley crunching the numbers out with a new call this morning saying that big tech stocks like Microsoft and Apple are under-owned. Huh. Of course, that would be a good thing. You can read the full call on CNBC.com pro. More market action after this. Yet another gut check on earnings coming up, CrowdStrike, HP Inc., and HPE. So that's like the consumer side and the enterprise side of HP, two different companies, all on deck to report this afternoon. In the cyberspace, we just saw Palo Alto Networks post a strong quarter and an upbeat outlook. We'll see if CrowdStrike will follow suit. That stock is down a little over 6% for the year compared to the NASDAQ's 24% drop. Another trend we are watching PC demand slowing down overall. We'll see how HP Inc. is holding up there. Then finally, HP Enterprise, those results to give us a better sense of the health of enterprise spending in tech. We'll also speak to the CEO right here on Tech Check to break it all down. That's Antonio Neri, the CEO of HPE tomorrow, D. Yeah, um, we talked about this a little earlier, though. Dell, what did that tell us about HPE? And these legacy stocks as a whole um, have been a good bet 
relative good bet this year, holding up a little better. Um, CrowdStrike, though, I'm looking at it right now, John, on facts that uh, 31 out of 31 analysts rated a buy. They like it because it's kind of a similar story as Palo Alto. Well, uh, in a way, Carl, it's a very interesting company in that it has this platform for security where it should be easy to turn on different features. It, it is pretty easy to turn on different features, and they can let customers in the enterprise try before they buy. So, hey, it looks like you need this type of security. We'll turn it on for you. Oh, by the way, here are all the problems we solve for you. Would you like to start paying now, or would you like us to turn it off? Yeah, well, we've long talked about cyber as a, a safe haven within tech. And as for um, HP and, and the PC market, John, uh, it was nice to see Best Buy with inventories down year on year. Not a lot of retailers have uh, done that. Mm -hmm. If you think about what NVIDIA said about letting at least the gaming market uh, a chance to correct, maybe that's beginning to happen in some right. electronics. Could be an opportunity. Um, meanwhile, guys, also all eyes are on Ether for the latest edition of Crypto World. The currency associated with the Ethereum blockchain more or less flat today ahead of next month's anticipated merge. In essence, the merge will change the blockchain from a proof of work platform to proof of stake. That means rather than using computers and a lot of energy to solve complicated problems and mine coins, the system has investors deposit coins into a shared lottery pool. During each transaction, one participant is chosen at random to verify the exchange and rape the rewards. The move away from mining is expected to cut down energy usage, and this is key, by more than 99%. Crypto bulls hope this change drives currencies back up to previous highs. We have very much yet to see a turnaround. Um, with Bitcoin back below 20K, John, um, I think the most important thing about this merch, though, yes, the energy consumption, but also transaction. It's supposed to lay the groundwork to bring fees and transaction fees lower. That is still unclear. That is another step that has to happen after the merge. And I heard it described as actually pulling this off, the whole merge that everyone's so excited about, flying the jet and changing the engine in the sky. That's why <laughs> this has taken so many years, so many promises, and we've yet to get it. It's not even certain that we'll get it in September, though some important tests have passed. I'm looking forward to the proof of market relevance <laughs> in all of the, like, I don't care. Now, granted, I am not a crypto owner, investor, any of that. Um, I, I don't care. So let's see if all of this fancy you know, mechanics that they have to these, sometimes when it comes to you know, these uh, stable coins, the fancy mechanics are a little too fancy by half. Yeah. But let's see if it's market relevant at all. I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Still to come, guys. Uh, a round trip for Intel shares. Wow, 3240 today, lowest since 2016, is now finally the time to start buying in. We'll talk about it. Stay with us. In our latest edition of Overvalued, Undervalued, we're looking at semis today. Uh, Intel hitting some lows we haven't seen in more than six years, even after investing heavily in new infrastructure under the CEO, Pat Gelsinger. Given the price drop, is it time to buy or should investors hold out for longer? Citi says there could be further to fall. The bank says in a new note that they expect the iShares semi ETF, already down roughly 30 percent year to date, to fall another whopping 25 percent and hit all time lows. Their thesis is based on PC, handset slowdown, correction in the auto and industrial markets as well. 
Uh, we will see. They did say, D, that analog devices is their top pick, uh, but there's been a lot of back and forth in the uh, semi-space in today's cities on the downside. Yeah, certainly on a valuation basis, Intel looks good. It has, what, a third of the forward price-to-earnings ratio as an NVIDIA, about half as an AMD. Um, but I guess the question, John, is has there been a changing of guard? Is Intel no longer in the space to innovate. We know that they've been behind on the latest chips. Pat Gelsinger has made a very big bet in the foundry business. Can he pull it off? And that's the thing, you're not going to know for years. So investors, if they try and judge it now. I don't know that you're not going to know for years. And this is the most fascinating potential turnaround in tech right now because semiconductors are like the most complicated thing that humans build, right? So it's really hard to... Intel would argue that they're going to be able to regain product leadership before they regain process leadership and before this whole foundry strategy uh, pans out. That's what they're arguing right now. Uh, Have they been perfect in execution? Mm -hmm. Far from it. But if they're right about that, well, that's certainly different from what's being priced into the stock in the market. Investors are expecting this is going to take years and it might not work at all. So I think your over or under has to be based on whether you think the technical minds at Intel can mm-hmm. pull off great product before they pull off. And now they've got a technical mind leading it, right? And Gelsinger versus a CFO, finance guy before. Remember, he has to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> you missed part of today's show. Catch up with our latest podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just a moment. One more thing, and that is GoPuff. For now, it's a private company that talks that it may be looking to go public. It's looking to borrow $300 million, according to the journal. The instant delivery company, backed by SoftBank, is working with bankers on a revolver loan, which would allow GoPuff to quickly borrow money when needed. This is the latest sign of weakness for GoPuff as the company faces a slowdown in the instant delivery space, coupled with falling falling valuations across tech. Guys, maybe not necessarily. This is something that companies sometimes do ahead of going public. However, what I would say about this is that if you think that Uber, Lyft, DoorDash are tough businesses, very unprofitable, we got to wait to see GoPuff because this is a company that operates in the gig economy, but they're also asset heavy. They own their own micro fulfillment centers, which is another word for warehouses. They actually employ some of their workers as well, though they have been cutting costs pretty rapidly this year. Yeah, they've been laying off people. There's a 3% layoff, a 10% layoff, shutting dozens of fulfillment uh, centers. There's the risk it goes poof. Haha. Um, <laughs> if it doesn't get cash burn under control while also doing it, has to grow in the right places during a tough economy. The latest is $1.5 billion of cash, Carl. You think about an Uber, which has easily burned through a billion dollars cash in a quarter. Wonder where, where that leaves them. Yeah. Uh, we definitely got a flush, guys. We were down 400 and breath got severely negative. Oil down five bucks. Let's get to the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.